So very grateful for our musicians, for our choir, um, for how they lead us into worship. And we have today met to worship. Notably, worship is not about my preferences. It's not about your preferences. For instance, the Bible never prescribes any style of music. And yet, I want you to just think for a moment about how divisive sometimes the issue of music can be in the church. It should not matter one iota whether we sing an old hymn or a contemporary praise song, just as long as the lyrics bring glory and honor to the God we worship. No, worship is not about my preference. It's not about your preference. Rather, it is about a covenantal relationship that God initiates and that he invites us into. I think it deserves a hallelujah chorus to know that God wants to have a relationship with you. Our primary text for this morning comes from Exodus chapter 24. And in that chapter, it describes how God ratifies a covenant with Israel. And that covenant is laid out in chapters 20 through 23. In verse 3, Moses tells the people the Ten Commandments and the subsequent rules that he was given up on the mountain from God in chapters 21 to 23. And then soon after, really soon after, in verse 7, we find Moses repeating the same thing to them. Once more, he reads the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant. The people needed to hear God's word over and over, not just every once in a while. You and I need to hear God's word over and over, not just once a month or on Easter and Christmas. God's written word must be heard and understood. Borrowing somewhat from Paul in Romans chapter 10, how can anyone know God without hearing from him and learning about him? So worship must involve the Bible faithfully proclaimed. Over the past several Sundays, I have spent time explaining the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20 but I did not explore with you the case laws that follow. If you are taking the time and you would go back and you would read Exodus 21 through 23, you might think that the book of the covenant doesn't seem all that relevant to 21st century America. But when you are reading about seemingly antiquated Old Testament case laws, we need to ask ourselves two questions. It's the same two questions basically that we heard from our earlier reading from Romans chapter 3. How do they expose my sin and my need for grace? And how do they point me to the provision that is found in Jesus Christ? 
The written word must always guide our hearts and our minds to a deeper love for the living word. And so Exodus 21 and verse 12 through Exodus 23 and verse 9 outlines penalties for various crimes with two considerations in mind. The first is restitution of that which is lost. The second is equal punishment for the harm that is caused. So think for instance about a hypothetical situation that could take place among siblings within a family. Maybe not even all that hypothetical. Suppose that a sister accidentally rips a page from a book that her brother owns. She should not be punished for the accident, but some type of restitution should take place. But let's say that the sister intentionally set out to rip the page. In that case, with the crime being deliberate, if you will, then not only should restitution occur, but there should be some type of punishment to follow. So what about our crime against the holy God? We have separated ourselves from right fellowship with God by our deliberate sin, the penalty of which is death. And yet God wants to have a relationship with you. Do not miss some significance here. How can this relationship be restored in light of the punishment that we are due? The covenant between God and Israel was sealed with blood. Moses first sprinkles the blood on the altar and then upon the people. In this way, the establishment of the old covenant points us to the new covenant. The writer of Hebrews was obviously thinking about Exodus chapter 24 when he wrote verses 19 and 20 of chapter 9. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. Only Israel could not keep the covenant of the law that they were commanded to obey. You and I could never keep the covenant of the law either. And so Jesus Christ perfectly kept it for us. He brings restitution for our sin. He bears the punishment that we are due. Tim Chester says this, when you are measured against God's law, the verdict is you fail. Acknowledge that. Feel that. And then turn to the Gospels. Read the life of Jesus 
Every act of love, every act of obedience, every right word he spoke, he did that for you. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then God places you in him. And all those things, all his righteousness is credited to you. That's precisely why Romans 3 verse 25 declares the good news that God set forth Christ as a propitiation by his blood. Whereas Moses sprinkled blood on the altar, 1 Peter 1-2 alludes to the sprinkling of Christ's blood on the cross. The good news that I proclaim to you today is the gospel. It's that you simply need to look to the cross in order to find salvation. Why? Because God wants to have a relationship with you. But in Exodus chapter 24, the blood sacrifice is also sprinkled on the people. In the new covenant, we are not sprinkled with blood, but through the ordinance of baptism. Consider again the words from the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 22 to 25. Therefore, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. It returns us yet again to the theme of worship. We are saved by Christ's blood, nothing else. And then we are purified through baptism. And we are set apart to worship in the Lord's presence together, encouraging one another to love and good works. But as we continue for just a moment more to reflect on the worship to which we are called, notice a few other details with me this morning. In the establishment of the old covenant, assigned representatives went before the Lord. Moses, Aaron, and his two sons and 70 representatives went up into the presence of God. In fact, verse 10 literally says, they beheld God. Now, I don't know if you have read all of Exodus lately, but perhaps you are familiar with Exodus 33, verse 20. It's the scene where Moses has asked to see God's glory and God says, no one shall see his face and live. So how do we reconcile these two texts? Well, a close reading of Exodus chapter 33 shows that Moses is allowed to see something of God. He's just not yet allowed to see the fullness of God's glory. 
I think in Exodus 24, verse 10, perhaps these men never saw any higher than the feet of God. I think they were prostrate before him. And when you look at verse 10, what is described is the pavement beneath his feet. Nothing else. But in the new covenant, the fullness of God's glory is revealed. John writes in chapter 1, verse 14, that we beheld his glory. Later, Jesus says in John 14, verse 9, that anyone who has seen him has seen the Father. The main point is yet again, God wants to have a relationship with you. By faith in Christ, one day we shall behold him. We shall see him face to face. The old covenant did not allow for what the new covenant does because the old covenant ratified the law, that which we could never fulfill. But the new covenant ratifies grace, that which Jesus Christ does for us. Israel heard God's word proclaimed, and they responded in faith. But Israel's obedience to God's commandments and laws could never be perfect. We will see that more fully next week, in fact. It is why God provided a sacrifice for their sin through a blood offering. And it's at this point that Exodus 24 prefigures a final important element of biblical worship. Atonement having been made for their sin, the way was cleared for Moses and the appointed representatives to have table fellowship. Verse 11 says they not only came into God's presence, but they also ate and drank with him. Only Isaiah 25, verse 6, prophesies of when people from every nation would find a place at God's table, not just appointed representatives. In the coming of Jesus, Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled. There is room for anyone at Christ's table. So just as the sprinkling of blood over the people prefigures baptism, the sharing of the covenantal meal prefigures the Lord's Supper. According to Philip Graham Ryken, baptism marks our entrance into the covenant community through faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper marks our continuance in the covenant. We eat and drink around the table to show that we have fellowship with God. By establishing a new covenant in Christ's blood, he has welcomed us into his love. Every time 
the gospel is preached, people are invited to a renewed covenantal fellowship and relationship with the Lord. To sup with God today, all you need to do is invite Jesus into your heart. To sup with God today, all you need is to be covered with the righteousness that's found in Christ and Christ alone. (laughs) What have we done to deserve love like this? What have I done to deserve love like this? That Jesus Christ does not cover us with the blood of oxen and calves. He covers us with the very blood of God, his blood. And so we come to the table today, not distant, not separated, but invited near to him in his presence. If you are covered with the blood of Christ, this meal, this table, it's for you. But if you have not yet made known your love and your affection and your commitment to Christ, let me encourage you not to come today. Let me encourage you to allow this time to be a time that shows you what kind of love God has for you, that the kind of relationship he's inviting you into comes through his broken body and his shed blood at the cross. And so today we sup together as brothers and sisters, united through the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, We're going to celebrate communion today as we did the last time. Uh, There's a wafer on the top of the juice, and we will come by row on this side and then by row on this side and take the wafer and the juice and return to your seat, and then um, we will celebrate the meal together. Um, Let's pray as we prepare our hearts to come and to receive of the Lord's Supper. That you freely give yourself, Jesus, for those who are yet still enemies with you. I cannot explain. I cannot fully understand. I can only receive it. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that we would receive it and that we would rest in you. Lord Christ, I pray in your name. Amen.